buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. In the world of sales, you either sink, swim, or break through to the next level. My name's Colin Mitchell, and this is Sales Transformation, a new kind of sales show designed to bring you through the epic, life-changing moments of elite sellers so you can experience your own sales transformation. All right, welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. I'm super fired up to have Todd Capone on today. Todd Capone is an author and three of three best book award-winning and international bestseller, the transparency sales and speaker and workshop leader as principal of Sales Mellon. Todd, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, brother. Yeah, this is exciting. I know we're going to talk about some things that we don't get to talk about as often, so I'm excited about that. Um, but I'd love to just kind of go back a little bit and just tell me, like, when did you get into sales? What were you doing? And just kind of give us the short version of, like, your sales story. Well, yeah, I mean, my my dad was kind of the consummate salesperson forever. He passed away a couple of years ago at the age of 98. So amazing wow. life of always sales. Um, and I, I always felt like he did it the right way. But when, when I went to college, like sales was the last thing on my mind. I was thinking, <laughs> I want to be in marketing and advertising or whatever. But yeah. then I got a job in college. I went to Indiana University and I sold newspaper ads for the Indiana Daily Student newspaper. And I found like, this is kind of cool. And I think I'm pretty decent at it. And so like, that's where it started. And then when you come out of college and you're up against like hundreds of people going for the same entry level sales jobs, but you've yeah. got experience from college that you can actually like, here's the lessons I learned. Here's what I sucked at. Here's what I'm great at. I, I was like getting offers everywhere. It was, it was just a great way to get into it. And yeah, from there, uh, just a lot of sales and selling. Uh, you know, I guess as we go a little bit further, um, I, I think it turns out that I kind of consider myself a B, B plus sales rep, right? Like I wasn't the greatest, but I've always been a nerd for the behavioral science of like, how, how do people, like how their brains work? And then I found, you know what? I could apply that. And so uh, my initial inclination was I want to get into sales leadership, but like, mm -hmm. how do I do that? And at the time when I was really, I thought, ready, no one is going to take a person that has no experience that just this guy that's like this B plus sales rep. And so I ended up in the early 2000s, I quit my job, sold everything I had, and I bought a sales training company like a lunatic. And I did that for three years, kind of sucked at it. I think year one revenue was like 12K. Um, but wow. when that was over, one of the uh, people that I worked with earlier was an executive at a tech company out in the Valley. It was just like, Todd, come work for me. Help me build the infrastructure, the processes. You know it. You've worked with 100 different companies. And so I went in there and that was kind of the start of my entry into 
what's now, and I've been a, a leader with, I guess, seven times sales leader uh, with four different companies in different roles. And then now, you know, I wrote the book and here I am. Wow. Okay. So, um, yeah, I'm not mad at being a B plus seller, right? Because um, if you were an A plus seller, you probably would have got the leadership role, even though you probably weren't, you know, a lot of top producers, A plus sellers get that leadership role and it's not the best move, right? Yeah. Um, well, and sometimes remember, the- I mean, I, I know probably a lot of your listeners are, are younger, but, you know, after September 11th, 2001, they, the, the kind of the tech bubble exploded. And then all of a sudden there's this glut of mid-level sales managers that are looking for jobs. And that was when I was like, I, I don't want to just take another sales job. I want to go do something cool, but I'm up against all these people that had experience and I had none. And so I felt like I had to change the game and take the risk. And the worst case would be, I, I suck at it and I end up going back, but I've got so much more experience. Best case was the sales training thing would work out forever. Ironically, that's what I do now. But, um, you know, at the time, it just made me so much more. I, I don't know. I was able to see how companies ran, what they did well, what they didn't. And me being the nerd that I am around all of this behavioral science stuff, I think made me better at it so that when I did get the opportunity, I moved up really quickly. Yeah, yeah. What a uh, what a risky move, though, right? Well, yeah, I'm kind of a lunatic in that way. <laughs> but you know, I just always felt like, again, like worst case is, I run out of money, but I'm better for my next job, right? And like, it yeah. shouldn't pay itself. I always felt like doing that. So some of the risks that you take, people were like, hey, are you going to go get your MBA? And I was like, I don't really want to go back to school. I felt like this risk that I took probably cost me as much as an MBA. And I probably got a broader education around the real sales world doing that versus what I would have gotten going back to class every day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, being willing to bet on yourself and put like the experience ahead of like some monetary thing, right. Is, is, is really can be really beneficial. Right. And it seems like it worked out for you. So being willing to take those risks, maybe being a little bit of a lunatic, like you said, um, (laughs) can, can work out, can work out, you know, it's a lot easier when you're single too. Yeah. Yeah. When you're expensive. (laughs) I mean, I started my, my first company with my wife, uh, when I was, uh, 24 and, you know, we lived in a one bedroom apartment and our expenses were low. So we could take that sort of risk, you know, um, now, you know, if, if I was in a job and it'd be a little more difficult, you know, I've got three kids and a fourth on the way and a mortgage and I'd be like "Eh, a little bit harder to be a lunatic and take that risk. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So I really want to dig into something you've brought up a couple times and you, we, we were talking about it before it is, is you really love to geek out on this behavioral science stuff around sales. And, uh, and, and, and so let's, let's, what does that mean? And let's just nerd out on some of that stuff for a minute. Well, yeah, why don't I, um, so I'll start with a story. Um, in my last role, so from 2014 to 2018, I was the chief revenue officer of a company in Chicago called power reviews. Now, you could probably guess from the name, Reviews, that we were in the review space. We helped retailers and brands collect and display ratings and reviews on their website, right? So buy a pair of Crocs, look at the shoe, you scroll down, there's reviews. We were the engine behind the collect and display of that. Now, what happened was we did a research study 
and we were doing it with like a thousand other companies too, right? But we did a research study with Northwestern University, I'm in Chicago with them, that looked at, all right, how do consumers make decisions when a website is acting as a salesperson? Mm. We got the, the, the data back and it literally changed my life, like only could happen to a nerd, right? That there was three data points, two of which blew my mind and I was like, all right, that's what a website's acting as a salesperson. What happens in human to human or B2B? And the three data points, the first one was no surprise, right? It was that at the time, 96% of us will read reviews before we make a purchase of medium to high consideration that we've never bought before, right? And I, I, was, I, I never found the 4% that don't. Like, we all do it. The data points, though, that blew my mind. Number one, 85% of us skip the five-star reviews and go right to the negatives. Wow. Right, so we read the fours, threes, twos, and ones first. And then the other one was this idea that on a five-star scale, a product that has an average review score between a four, two, and a four, five is optimal for purchase conversion. Meaning a product that has negative reviews right under it. I bought this product, I hated it. Actually helps products sell, right? Like Amazon, company you may have heard of, they're doing pretty well. Back in 1995, they were the ones that pioneered this idea of, hey, let's let people buy the products and then come back and tell us whether they liked, you know, what they liked, what they didn't. And it helped them sell, it helped them accelerate. So I thought, all right, why does that happen? Why as human beings, do we want to go to the negative first? And why does that actually aid in our decision-making process? And it turns out all of that applies to human to human or B2B selling. That mm. our brains, we are wired subconsciously to know that perfection can't possibly be reality. And yeah. like as a sales leader, I was teaching my reps to basically present our stuff as being perfect, right? And let them find out on their own. But what triggers a decision in the buying brain is when our brains can predict what our experience is going to be like. And if all we're hearing is positives, we're actually driving buyers to go do homework on their own. And due to the proliferation of reviews and feedback on everything we do buy and experience, you gotta go, like, you gotta embrace this idea right now, control that dialogue. And so we started trying it at Power Reviews where we would lead with, hey, like, based on your environment, um, here's the things we're really good at, but here's a couple of things that maybe like aren't as good. Here's something a competitor does better than us. Here's an area potentially of risk based on your product category. When we led with that, it disarmed the buying brain. It sped our sales cycles because buyers were able to you know, predict faster and they were doing less homework on their own. But even more importantly, our win rates went way up because we were wow. working the deals we should be working and we were losing the deals we were gonna lose anyway, but faster, right? That, like the first time I had tried it was with a, a big apparel uh, retailer up in New York. I got thrown into an environment that I didn't know I was going to be presenting in. Um, <laughs> they, they handed me the HDMI and they're like, plug your laptop in here. And I'm like, what? And then the, the guy started the conversation by saying, hey, we're looking at your competitor. We're looking at you. How are you better? And I was like thinking about all this behavioral science research. I'm like, I'm going to try it. And so I started by just saying, hey, before we get too deep, our competitor that you're looking at, they just released an add-on that not only do we not have, but we haven't even thought about, so not even on our roadmap. If that's gonna be an important consideration, can we vet that now? Cause like, you got a team here that's gonna issue an RFP. 
you're like, we're going to have to fly everybody around to do the dog and pony show. And it would save us all a lot of time. And they're like, what is it? And I literally went into selling that add-on as though I was the competitor because, man, again, if I'm going to lose, I want to lose fast. I want to control that message, right? And what ended up happening is something like the, the thing that triggered me to quit my job and write a book was yeah. within 15 minutes, the head of e-commerce had said, hey, listen, that's not, that wasn't even something we were considering. Um, we'll have to vet it a little bit, but for right now, it's a no. Like we're not interested in that add-on anyway. Within 15 mm. minutes, he kicked everybody out of his office and showed me his actual budget, right? Like I'd never had a buyer go, hey, can you hit that number? And I was like, wait a second, I think I'm on to something here. And we, we, <laughs> so we kind of rolled it out a little bit more broadly and we became Chicago's fastest growing tech company from 2014 to 2017. And I think that that played a big role. We were, I mean, our role as salespeople is to Sherpa the buyer through the best decision for them, whether it's with us or without us. And, and that's yeah. where the magic really started. It started with transparency and has kind of blossomed into other pieces around it. That's a that's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of sellers. Right? Yeah. Like what? You mean you want me to help them make their buying decision even if we're not the best decision? That sounds crazy. Now you sound like a lunatic. Exactly. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you, like one of the things that I used to do wrong as a sales leader is I used to like monitor to, hey, listen, at all times, you've got to have 4X your quota in pipeline, right? And like, we would look at that and go, oh, you don't. You got and so what that would do is the reps would then fill their pipeline with 4X their quota filled with crap, right? Yeah. And like our, I, I think that we all need to step back and go, hey, listen, can we do a better job of vetting pipeline and qualify in or out faster so that maybe we only need 2x our quota and pipeline to hit our numbers and we end up spending more of our time on opportunities we should win or finding opportunities we should win which means that the whole pie is going to get a lot bigger and, yeah. and that's that was the, the the concept of this is again one other thing that i kind of joked about or maybe i didn't joke about before we got started is i'm a massive sales history nerd too yeah yeah uh, like i've got a podcast called the sales history podcast because like my weekends are spent reading old sales books from the early 1900s there's a quote from an author his name's arthur dunn the year was 1919 and the quote is awesome like it's my favorite quote of all time as it relates to sales it is if the truth won't sell it don't sell it and like that one always stuck with me. And I'm like, hey, if we just own that mantra, we're going to be working the opportunities we should be working and being a lot more efficient. I, instead of the 4X uh, quota of pipeline measure, if I was in that position right now, I would be looking at how long does it take us to lose the deals we lose? Yeah. Right? And if that's extended, maybe we're not we're like embracing and helping the customer predict, right? I think there's a huge opportunity there. Right. Well, you said it earlier, right? If you're going to lose, lose fast. Yeah. Right. So tell them the things that you naturally don't want to tell them, or you think that you'd normally try to hide, right? Like the yeah. negative reviews at the bottom. Right. <laughs> Give them all that information up front because I, I think in that story that you explained, right, in that situation, uh, by giving them that information, you built a level of trust and rapport through that transparency that was shockingly odd. To those to the to that buying committee. Well, and what make it even more funny is two weeks later, they decided to not do the RFP, 
and they made the decision for us. But that head of e-commerce called me. So I'm in my office, I'm in a meeting, I see on the caller ID the company name and I'm like, oh, I wanna get this one. I answer, it's him. And he called to tell me, hey, listen, we're gonna accelerate this. We just felt more comfortable with you and your company. It's a better fit. We've decided not to do the RFP. You don't have to fly up here. Um, and so congrats. And I was like, oh, cool. But like, why did you call me? Like, that's awesome that you called me. But, and he was like, oh, I just had to tell you this story. The competitor, I called them and told them that we were gonna go with you. They immediately went into a hard pitch for their new add-on. And I told them <laughs> that I already knew about it, that the CRO of Power Reviews had already explained it to me. And it's not something that we're really caring about right now. And I was like, ah, so it, like just like in the, the end of the movie, Eight Mile, where Eminem yeah. is in the rap battle and he disarms his competitor by basically rapping all about the things that that guy could rip on him about and left yeah. him with nothing left to say. That's one of the other values of this too. It's you disarm your competitors, win faster, lose faster, and speed your sales cycles because you're helping the buyer predict a lot faster. Wow, that's that's an interesting piece there because basically by disarming your your competitor and, and leading with that information, with, with you leading with that information that doesn't even make you look like potentially the best option, right? If, if that's something that's important to them and them leading with that is, this is why we are the best option, uh, works so well together um, in, in your favor. So I well, love yeah. that. And if that add-on would have been really important, would I rather know now or would I rather know in three months after we'd spent all that time and money on RFPs and flying? Would I rather control that message or would I rather that message come from my competitor? Like those, those are the two questions that just made it seem like, huh, this is something that we could really embrace in our messaging, our positioning. And it goes all the way out to presenting, negotiating, you know, post-sale experience, interviews, interviewing. Like you could take this transparency concept to pretty much everything. And I think there's a huge opportunity to, to really not only change the game, but you got to do it because of that proliferation of reviews and feedback on everything anyway. Um, and like the customer's going to find out anyway. So why not own it instead of leaving the randomness to them and erode trust in the process, right? Build trust. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and so, um, and that's, that's the key there, right? Is, is, is it's going to not only help you win more deals, but it's going to help you get rid of the deals that you would have wasted a ton of time on, right? Because that's why other deals that, I mean, there's, it's opportunity cost, right? If you're spending time on deals where you didn't lead with that level of transparency, you're spending your wheels, wasting time, wasting money, focusing on those when there's other ones that you could have closed that you potentially risk losing because you weren't giving them enough attention. Exactly. And what ends up happening also is when you do that, you build trust the, the, the thing I say a lot is with every interaction, you're either building trust or eroding it. It's never staying the same. And if you yeah. start with, you know, we, 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 this is how awesome we are. Did I mention how awesome we are? Like you're not starting at a really good position. You can start with that trust built. And then when something inevitably goes wrong, uh, you've got more rope. And the end result is not only these customers that buy faster, buy more often, but they stay longer and they're more likely to become advocates on your behalf. That client, there was another one, um, it was a, a co company that made, um, made chili, right? Like chili in cans, right? And I, he had called me for some reason and was just like, hey, I'm looking at you, I'm looking at them. And so I started with that same thing. 
that guy became one of our company's biggest advocates. I, and I swear it's that foundation of trust and transparency that not only lasts for your initial deals, but it has such long lasting ramifications in the relationship that you have with your customers. Yeah. And so, and there's a couple of key things that you need to know in able to sell this way, right? You need to know your strengths and your weaknesses as a company yeah. extremely well. And you need to know your competitors extremely well, right? Well, yeah. I mean, back in 2017, Gartner, it was the corporate executive board back then, but Gartner had done a study that looked at consensus buyers. So you got a group of consensus buyers. Where are they spending their time? It turns out that only 39% of their buying time in you know trying to evaluate your solution and competitors is spent either talking to you, talking to your competitors, or talking to their internal buying group. 61% of their time is spent doing homework outside of what they get from you. And that 61% is talking to peers, references, analyst reports, the review sites, doing all of that homework. That 61% is not a foregone conclusion. When you lead with transparency and they start to do their homework and find that it matches up immediately, our brains trigger that, hey, I can trust what this person's saying. It matches up. I don't need to do more homework. So the homework for everybody else, like you said, Colin, is not only you got to know your strengths, your weaknesses, all of that, but go do the homework like a buyer would do. Like go to yeah. Google when, when you're done listening to this and go, what is it like to work with my company? And it's not just the review sites. There's also the glass doors, the Indeeds, the employee sites that have review snippets. Your buyers are looking at that too because they're not just buying your product, solutions, technology, services. They're buying you. And if they see on Glassdoor, you get like a 2.5 and everybody hates it there, that's going to influence it too. All yeah. of that. No, they're going to do that homework and do the homework for them. Be the Sherpa through their buying process. And I'm telling you, the, the, the results... Like they were so magical to me. I was like, I got to get these ideas out there. I wrote the book. I thought there was a 50-50 shot it would suck because I'd never written a book before. And I, I, and I was like going to go do the book launch and then maybe do a little speaking and teaching and then go find a CRO job again. But the book has taken off. It's, it's selling. It sold more in 2021 than it did in 2018. So it keeps going up. It's making an impact. And I, I, I just, the, the other piece of this is, as a sales history nerd, yeah. back in the early 1900s, sales was actually a trusted and respected profession. Fast forward to the 2010s, 2020s, you look at Gallup's annual list of trusted professions, and it's like nurses and veterinarians. And at the bottom, it's salespeople, members of Congress, and you know, senators. Like that's the that's the group I want to be hanging out with. I just think there's an opportunity to not only improve all of the results that matter to you, but I think we have an opportunity to make the profession a more respected and admired place to be again. And I think that impacts yeah. all of us. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, it, and it's interesting because um, when you sell this way, it's almost shocking to the buyer. Like yeah. it stands out in such a huge way because it's not the norm. Like it's totally opposite of, of what all or most of your competitors are doing. Yeah. And I mean, the world has changed. It, it's amazing. You know, that quote, that Arthur Dunn quote, if the truth won't sell it, don't sell it. That was 102 years ago. We've always known that honesty and authenticity help you sell, but we now have to do it. Like the, the last 10 years has changed to the point where, yeah, it feels good to be honest. I feel good being honest. Of course you do. But 
Now we have to do it and it makes a real impact. Like it, you not only get the opportunity to feel good about your selling pursuits, but it impacts your results in a really markedly positive way when you do it. Like that's like the greatest win-win of all time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a good exercise is kind of what you mentioned, right? Is go do the homework on your company as if you're a buyer yeah. and do the same on your competitors. And that is a good way to know where they're maybe stronger than you, where they're maybe weaker than you, where you're strong, where your weak points are, and just get out in front of that exactly. in the very beginning of the sales process. Yeah, exactly. And I think that includes price too. And again, this is another counterintuitive thing, but I was always taught, hold on to the pricing discussion until you've built up enough value. Yeah. The term sticker shock has never been associated with anything positive in the history of the term's use, right? Like, yeah. I, I'm a believer in also at the beginning, set a pricing expectation. It doesn't have to be exact, but you just go, hey, yeah. listen, based on your environment, we think that the investment's going to be between X and Y. We've got to get into the details to get more precise, and we might be off there, but that's the range. If that's going to be trouble, let's talk about that now before we get too deep into this. Because in my, my heart, I believe that if we're talking about a six-figure solution to a four-figure buyer, one of us is in the wrong discussion and vice versa. If ours is a four-figure solution and they're looking for something six-figure, one of us is in the wrong decision or discussion. You better find that out right now. You're not going to build up enough value to make up for sticker shock. It, the, the odds of that happening are one in a hundred. Yeah. I think your odds are better in embracing that whole piece. And again, get out quickly. You build trust and it's amazing how often when you do that, the customers that say no to you right away because of it are the ones that come back to you when they feel just this trust and endearment to what you do and the, the approach that you take. I, we can differentiate on our, our solutions, our pricing, our go-to-market, all of that. I think there's an opportunity to differentiate in the way that you sell. And I think this is a great way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so many reps struggle with the pricing question when it's, when it's posed early on. Right? Yeah, like, and they're afraid. Oh, you know, right. And, 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 and they dance around and that's like the quickest way to lose trust and rapport. And like, in a lot of cases, if you don't give a, a, a reasonable range to find out now, Hey, does it make sense for us to even have the, the, the next conversation? Uh, and a lot of times you're never going to get that next conversation just because you weren't honest authentic, transparent with, with that to begin with. Exactly. And the referrals that you get too, like that happens with me and what I do now. Like I speak and I teach workshops, right? And I will lead with, Hey, based on your organization and size, like this is the range. And I will have people going, Oh, all right. That's, that's more than we thought. That's more than we've got budgeted for this. Um, and I'm like, all right, cool. Like, thanks. Good. Like here's a couple of people that you can talk to that are more in your range. Right. And then they do, and it's amazing how much that either comes back to me, either through referrals by those other people that I've referred business to, or yeah. by that person themselves going to another company and I'm the first one that they call. I, yeah. Again, think about playing the long game here. Uh, it, it's not just about your deal right now. That whole pipeline load discussion we had earlier, like if we're getting measured by that, we gotta rethink that. Play the long yeah. game and you'll find that your customers, just that, that foundation of trust has magical long-term impacts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, exactly what you said is playing the long game, right? Your yeah. reputation as a seller matters. Yeah. Um, and you want to make a good impression in all scenarios, regardless of the outcome. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm almost, as we're sitting here talking, I'm thinking like, 
if there's a review product for sales reps. <laughs> there is. It's a company called RepView. Um, by the way, so side note, there's a company called RepView that it's actually salespeople can go in and review their own companies. Uh, they're like the interview process, the uh, comp plans, the environment that like that's coming. There's reviews on freaking everything now. And it's only well, I've seen old. I've seen rep view, yeah. but I'm saying imagine if an actual sales rep had their own review. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, For like, um, like it started. Yeah. That here's the things I'm good at. Here's the things I'm not so good at. Well, <laughs> Let's, yeah, you want to go on this journey together? It, it's funny that you are seeing that proliferate real estate legal where there's individual lawyers and realtors that are getting reviewed. I think realtor.com, you might be able to find reviews on individual realtors now. So that's where it starts. It might be yeah. coming. I, I, I kind of hope not, but uh, I think that's <laughs> a little crazy. But uh, I, yeah, I mean, that that's the way the world's going. It's just a proliferation. Be interesting. Be interesting at least. Yeah. yeah. Well, Todd, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a blast having this conversation. Uh, where, you know, any final thoughts? Where's the best people, you know, best place for people to connect with you? Or what are we going to include in the show notes for them? Well, I mean, the book, The Transparency Sale, I, I wrote it to be the kind of book I would want to read, uh, chock full of behavioral science. But it's uh, the, the whole point I was trying to make with it is to make it immediately applicable to your messaging, mm -hmm. your positioning, your presenting, your negotiating, all of those elements. So you could read it and take some pieces away and, and be doing this like tomorrow afternoon. Um, I, I, I do the sales history podcast for anybody who's a nerd on that, just total hobby for me. If anybody wants to check that out, wherever they listen to podcasts. And then I am uh, just finished the manuscript. It's in edit uh, right now for the transparent sales leader. So it's taking these concepts and applying it to leadership, not only in terms of structure, but the behavioral science around what really drives us the intrinsic inspiration of your teams so that they stay great resignation, right? Like how do you get mm. them to stay, do their best every day and become advocates for your organization at a time where most everybody's growing. You can find me at uh, toddcaponi.com uh, for a lot of free stuff that's out there that you just grab, have some fun. I write a blog and then I do post my nonsense on LinkedIn all the time. If you want to follow or connect with me there, just let me know where you heard me. Awesome. We'll drop those links in the show notes. Thanks again for coming on. If you enjoyed today's episode, please write us a review, share the show with your friends, and we're always listening for your feedback. You can go over to salestransformation.fm, drop us a voice DM, and we will get back to you. Hey, you stuck around. That tells me you're serious about your own sales transformation. If you're tired of doing things the old way and want to get started in your journey with other people on the same path, head over to salescast.community and crush your numbers on your leaderboard. Yeah, it's free, salescast.community. Send me a DM with your best pitch and mention this ad, and I might even give you free access to our best templates.